Yes. <laughs> it's fantastic. So thank you so much for coming. Oh my goodness. Thank you for inviting me. It really is fantastic. Well I just I thought after I met you, but I just I've never heard about any of the stuff that you um, anyway, cheers. Cheers. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Hello, and welcome back to In One Ear and Out the Other, a podcast tackling taboos with a tipple. This week, I'm here, I'm joined by my guest, Sarah Bell. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm okay, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's actually, weirdly, the nicest day ever when we're choosing to record for November. Yeah. Considering how awful the weather's been. I know. There's no rain, sun is shining. Yeah. Very lovely. We're in a wonderful studio, so I'm very happy to have you on as my guest. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. It's nice to to feel invited. And I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with myself and Millie. Um, And you're back for episode two. So did you want to just introduce yourself a bit and what you're here to do? Yeah, of course. So um, my name's Sarah and I am a doula um, based in Sussex. Um, So just to kind of give you a bit of an idea of what a doula does, um, I support uh, pregnant people and families during the antenatal um, birth and postnatal period. Um, In particular, offering a kind of a continuity of care that isn't readily accessible in the NHS model at the moment. I mean, steps are being taken to move towards it, but um, having kind of a doula and someone separate means that you kind of have that a person that you know and knows what's going on with you from kind of start to end. Um, so a big part of the role of being a doula is being um, present at the birth. So that involves uh, attending the birth, as kind of as soon as it ramps up, typically kind of in the second stage of of, uh, of labour, and providing emotional and physical support to uh, both parents. Um, so typically with the pregnant person, that includes things like offering like massage and helping them with the pool if they choose to use a birth ball, or making sure that they're getting the pain relief that they've requested if we're in hospital, um, and also with the partner, um, just making sure that they stay fed, hydrated, they're kind of alert and have an idea of what's going on it's very exhausting to kind of be in birth for both parties so yeah it's just making sure that everyone has the best possible experience that they can have I think it's maybe perhaps easy to be confused that you might be like a midwife but it's yes it's completely different isn't it yeah it it's it's almost like completely different but the same Mm. so it's a completely non-medical role so at no point with uh, with my clients am I to give any kind of medical advice or any kind of diagnosis I've not had medical training I've had training but it is not medical and it is not to the extent that a midwife has had training um so very clear to not give any kind of diagnosis um and also we are there to offer sometimes kind of a different kind of care that you would than you would receive from a midwife um I think both are very complementary to each other and both um we need we need each other to be able to do the best possible job that we can do Mm. yeah so yeah definitely work together and you you don't work for the NHS you're very much no your own yeah yeah thing yeah and if people want to access you is it something they can do through the NHS or um not at the moment although I feel like that possibly might change because of the the numbers of midwives is is not where it should be so having another kind of care 
is quite would be I think beneficial but at the moment um, we most doulas are, are on the doula UK website they kind of look after their organization they kind of help regulate the care that we provide and all of the training that I have to do has to be um, approved by them to make sure that it is of a certain standard um, and yeah so they have like a find your doula section so you can kind of put in your postcode and come up with a list of oh all really the i didn't know by. that yeah 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 yeah. That's so really it's really good and then most doulas will have kind of social media presence so have facebook pages instagram yeah. and that kind of thing so you can i find that that's really useful to kind of get an idea of who the person is what their kind of idea you know what the, the type of care that they would provide because it's very much there is a type of doula for every type of parent um I think one of the real common misconceptions is that doulas are for hippies. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, I think and that's that's something that I had previously kind of thought. But that's I think that's not quite true. I definitely am more um on the science and evidence-based care kind of side of things. So, uh, I'm pro vaccination. I am uh pro medical care and um medical and to a certain extent medical interventions where they are necessary yeah if you were pregnant and you were looking to go down a a more non-medical route there are other doulas that have far more experience in um helping with that kind of care okay yeah so how did you kind of find yourself in this job role is there was there like a a big event that happened in your life which spurred this on um I suppose the big event would be having children. Yeah. Um, it's not, a, it's, it wasn't something that I had even really thought of beforehand. I'm mean, even kind of looking at midwifery or anything like that. Did you have a doula yourself? No, I, no, I children. didn't. I've got two children. I didn't have a doula. I had two very positive births though. I, the first one was in hospital and was pretty instrumental. Um, so that means that um I had help getting the baby out so my baby was he was von twosed out so that's like it's essentially like a sucker that they put on their head and then they pull them out um um and that was basically we call it a spiral of intervention long story short my waters broke three weeks before my due date my he wasn't really ready to come out so nothing progressed um and then I had to be induced and so what that means is that you are given um there's a couple of levels of of inducing the first is called a sweep where um they kind of do a it's literally like a sweep with the finger around the cervix to kind Mm -hmm. of soften the membranes and to kick to start trying to move things along then the next you have a pessary which is where they put it's like I don't know in my head I've not properly seen one but in my head it's like a big tablet that they put in your vagina but I'm like 100% certain that's (laughs) not exactly what it is but they put um they put it into your vagina and that again is to try and kind of kick things off Mm -hmm. and then if that doesn't work then they put um you get given syntocin which is a synthetic oxytocin so the hormone that kind of kicks in when you start contracting is oxytocin it's the happy hormone it is um, makes you feel great and powerful and strong and empowered. Um, so they give you synthetic oxytocin to make things go quicker. Well, no, no, that's not right. Not to make things go quicker, but to kind of ensure things get kick-started. Yeah. Um, because obviously after your waters break, the baby's not sterile anymore. And so you are more susceptible. Really? To, yeah, to infection. Yeah. Um, Is that what it kind of acts 
as a, like a sterilization yep. yeah, tool. Yeah, so, okay. so the baby is in your uh, uterus in a sac and that's got all the amniotic fluid. By the time it comes to them coming out, most of that is like the baby's wee. Okay. <laughs> They're just kind of swimming around in. Nice. Um, uh, and so when they say when your waters break, that's the, the sac splitting and the water all coming out, the, mm-hmm. the amniotic fluid. Um, kind I of, think films like off this massive misconception that your waters break oh the baby's hurt it's not yes that's not the case is it definitely most of the time no yeah first time parent first time parents pretty much no mm-hmm. not at all um some cases the waters never break um and the baby can be born in the sack which is called being born on call i've seen a video of that actually yeah it's pretty amazing yeah it's yeah quite it's alien, like one actually. in eighty thousand wow. births yeah Wow. So it's pretty spectacular. Also, your waters can break while you're in the pushing stage, kind of towards the end of the second stage of labour. So it's the waters breaking is no indication that the baby is kind of imminent. Mm. Um, yeah. So my so my waters are broken. I was put on syntocin drip, and that ramped up my contractions very very quickly. Uh, by that point, I'd been in hospital for about three days, so I had an epidural, so I didn't feel any pain. I just felt pressure as I was having my contractions. And I dilated from two, two or three centimetres to ten centimetres in 40 minutes. And that's kind of put that in context. Typically, and again, all of these, like, when I say typically, it's like, it's, it's no one. No one is typical. No one is yeah. typical. But, you know, kind of a benchmark is that you would, ex- um, you would dilate half a centimetre every hour or so. So I did eight centimetres in 40 minutes. Now, if I hadn't have had my epidural... I think I, that would have been very traumatizing. Mm-hmm. The going from like less pain and fewer contractions to being ramped up so quickly. So by this point, I was very tired, um, and because I had an epidural, I wasn't feeling the contractions very well. So I wasn't pushing when I needed to be and when I should be. So I just needed a bit of extra help. So they just they get the little sucker, put it in via the vagina, and stick it on the baby's head. And then they, as you as you're doing a contraction and you're pushing, they pull the baby up. So, mm. yeah. So that was how I had my first child, and then my, and then after that, I um, became really interested and kind of very passionate about breastfeeding, and so started doing a lot of volunteering and peer supporting. So kind of, kind of dipped my toe into like the birth world and the birth working world. Met some doulas and kind of became quite interested. And then I got pregnant again, quite quickly. Um, my son was 11 months old when I got pregnant. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was very... Two in nappies. I'm like, that's... Do you know what? No, we managed to not really? have two in nappies. Yeah, <laughs> my, I have to say, my husband has potty trained both of the boys and has done did an amazing job. So we I, we didn't have two okay. in nappies. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, yeah, so... Um, and then my second was a home birth in the bathroom with no pain relief at all. Wow. Yeah, so kind of relatively different, but both so very different. Yeah, but both very positive. Um and from there I just kind of wanted to try and help people have positive births as much as they possibly can. Um because there's there's a lot of talk about how awful it is in mm. the media and it can be. Birth trauma is a is a big issue and is a real thing. Um but there are a lot of things that don't need to happen that, that can make the birth a lot better yeah yeah it's funny i feel like i'm learning a lot we're, we're both at very different points <laughs> yes in yes. our lives yeah 
I'm not even on the cusp of children, but it's I find it so interesting Cause, hearing about it all. Yeah, because that was going to be one of my questions to you. Was okay. What do you think birth is like? I mean, from everything that you, as you say, like, quote unquote, like typically see, mm-hmm. it's not a positive experience. Although, just because of the kind of person I am, I do like look into these things. And I kind of, oh, this is going to sound so weird. <laughs> I know, I feel like I already know that I would like a water birth. Yeah. Because that seems like the most pain free way. I mean, I don't even have a boyfriend. I don't know. <laughs> this is not even like, <laughs> honestly, this is not even it's like, close. It's like the step up from having an idea of what your wedding dress <laughs> looked like. When I have this baby, yeah. we're going to have it like this. Yeah. I'd like a water birth. <laughs> Um, that's pretty much as much as I know, but I wouldn't even, I would just assume that you just either go private or you go on the NHS. There's not really any other options for you. Yeah. Well, one of the big things is that, um, most of the childbirth and your human rights in childbirth are covered by the Human Rights Act and, and in particular Article 8, which says that basically you are entitled to give birth where you want and how you want and so that does include if you want to decline any medical care you can do okay yeah so it kind of you're well within your kind of your legal rights to do so but then equally almost you know some would argue on the opposite side of the spectrum if you get pregnant and you decide you want to have a planned cesarean you're entitled to do that mm-hmm. um women are uh, people are often told that they can't that's not strictly true mm. it's um they have to assess and make sure that yeah they're by denying you that that they're, they're not going to make it more traumatic okay for you. yeah i just know that oh my mom's gonna hate me for saying this yeah. but she had quite a traumatic birth yeah with me yeah i was a big baby yeah i was 10 pound two wow yeah and that's the response i always get that's great um so she couldn't give birth in the natural way um so i just hear a lot of stories from that and just things like that yeah you assume that all births are from that point they're going to be traumatic yeah did you know one of the first questions i ask my clients is do you know how you were born mm. because we call it a birth blueprint because a lot of those ideas um kind of trickle down mm. um and it's very safe to say that just because of how your mum had you doesn't isn't an indication of how you will have a baby mm. because but you that? assume don't you definitely and I'm quite lucky my um my stepmother in law she's an obstetrician um, and so sorry, we what's, what's... so an obstetrician is sorry <laughs> it's <laughs> like um a consult uh, she's a consultant in hospital care uh, with and she helps with uh, difficult pregnancies and difficult okay. births yeah so she's fantastic a kind of resource um she does do some eye rolls when i tell her about what i do really? which is, yeah because it's quite it's quite there's this kind of common misconception that doulas are anti-obstetrician mm. and vice it's versa a bit of a conflict of interest i guess yeah i think so and i think the key thing to remember with obstetricians in particular they just always see the worst case scenario they you know they come in when there's big trauma when there's big problems so that's their that's their interpretation of birth whereas most of my colleagues and we're quite lucky that we get to attend lovely home births and so it's you know very you know can be very opposite ends of the spectrum um but she always says with in terms of the birth blueprint she says um if it was as simple as it being kind of like hereditary how you give birth then 
we wouldn't have to worry about anything. We just know, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And my mum had um, what they call failure to progress, which is it's a horrible term. But just, yeah. Yeah. So it just basically means that, that she, her labour was going slower than they would have liked. And so she had two cesareans, one with me and one with my sister. Um, and that wasn't the case for me. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> it's kind of, it's just remembering that you are your own person. And yeah. Sometimes I feel like a lot of the language that is associated with birth is very scary yes. and off putting as well. Yes. Which doesn't necessarily help that process. No, definitely not. And I think there's a lot of the time people will tell you their stories and they'll say, and then the midwife said I was only so and so dilated. And you think that's just putting the seeds of doubt and kind yeah. of, um, yeah. Um, when you're already, I mean, I can only imagine this is probably one of the most terrifying things you have to do because it's not just giving birth you've then got to look after a whole human yeah so this is the other thing is that you know birth is kind of almost you know one two maybe three days long Mm -hmm. and then you have to look after the baby that's like the big thing but all the books about it are all talking about how the baby's going to come out and kind of like the baby's gonna come out yeah like it will it will one way or another yeah, yeah that's just how it is it's more I think preparing yourself as well for what happens afterwards I think the postpartum care at the moment in um leaves a lot to be desired so the postpartum period is kind of judged by the NHS to be around kind of six weeks to six months after you have the baby um but I think and I know a lot of my colleagues think it's kind of like the first year because it's babies change so Mm. quickly you kind of get into a routine and then you're like oh and now you can roll over and then you can crawl and now you can do this and so it's very um it's a it's a real shock to the system you kind of you have this little creature that's completely reliant on you to kind of get anything done and yeah so and you can just kind of be left to your own devices and sometimes not kind of looked after and checked that you're okay, I think. So I, I, I'm i very passionate about making sure that the the whole family are looked after postpartum. Babies get fantastic care after they're born. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. You know, your grandma is always going to say, oh, how's, how's the baby yeah. doing? Yeah. But the question is not always, how are you? Exactly. And I don't know, did you see Meghan Markle was recently interviewed and... She literally broke my heart. Oh, man. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that feeling. Exactly. And just when she said, no one's asked me how I am. I was just like, yeah, because people don't. People, you know, and especially if you've had any kind of injuries associated with your birth. So um, things like episiotomies, which is uh, where if you need help kind of getting the baby out, then they'll kind of cut your perineum slightly to help as opposed to it tearing mm-hmm. um because it's it heal it will heal better if the if the cut is right clean. yeah yeah um and i know that that is something that a lot of people worry about when it comes to having a baby um but there's there are things that you can do anecdotally that will mean that your kind of your cervix and your vagina is a bit more i'm doing a really funny hand it's a bit more stretchy but there's literally like, ripping yeah, with no. your hand. um but the the one that, that so it's like it is anecdotal there's no evidence backing it up but eating four dates a day in the last four weeks of your pregnancy is supposed to help 
Is there any evidence for that? Zero. Okay, okay. I mean, other than the fact I ate four dates the second time round with yeah. my son and I didn't have any tearing. But I did have an episiotomy the first time. So technically I'd be more susceptible for that to happen and it didn't happen the second time. So... Those good old food myths. I think, yeah. <laughs> and I think some of that is kind of that placebo effect yeah, of... definitely. Like making you feel more in control. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But... Um, I can't remember. Yeah, so episiotomies and also things like caesareans. Um, I know there's a lot of stigma. People say having a caesarean is the easy way to give birth. And I'm pleased you're shaking your head right no, now. No, no, I can't see how that could I just, ever be the case. I think that if you're in any other situation, if you had major abdominal surgery, you'd never be told you're doing the easy thing. No. It's just not the case. Um, Someone I follow on Instagram, actually, she's... Um, she is, she's like a beauty blogger influencer style, but she's called Lily Pebbles. Yeah. She's just her yep. baby. Um, and I really admire kind of the Instagram stories and stuff she does around, she's just so like honest and open. She had to have a cesarean. Yeah. And I think there is quite a bit of a, um, like a movement at the room at the moment on social media, kind of not sugarcoating birth no. and, you know, just being really open and honest because I think it's it would be easy to just, for these people with a large audience to sit back and say, oh, it's all sunshine and daisies. Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing that I think is that every person should have a debrief after they have a baby, regardless of how they feel it went, because it is a big thing to happen to your body, kind of. Um, and there's a huge... You spend nine months growing this baby inside mm. of you, and you can feel them moving, and you, you, your body completely changes. And then, you know overnight you're empty and I know the with my first child I just had this this just empty feeling inside me for weeks and weeks and weeks it felt like like a hunt you know like when you're really hungry and nothing really yeah and it was because he it forth I feel that it was because he was born quite early and so I kind of wasn't quite ready for him to not be in there mm. but it's just this it's just changes quite quickly in comparison to how long you're there growing the yeah. baby um so even that Literally within itself, overnight, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So even that within itself is kind of is a big thing to deal with. And I think if we all had this space to talk to people who are, you know, trained people, counselors, then we wouldn't have so much of the sharing of the scary stories. Um because those people will have somewhere to talk and have somewhere to listen to be listened to and to not be questioned. Um, Because also, from my point of view, having had a very positive second birth, it's not a story that I feel I can tell very often because um, a lot of people do have a terrible time. Mm. And I don't... You don't want to gloat. No, No. don't want to gloat. Which is awful because it shouldn't be a gloat. It's not... No, I'm very proud of what my body managed to do. But equally, um, it was quite funny because, as I said, I didn't have any pain relief, so I didn't have any gas and air or anything like that. Which is incredible. Well... Kudos. Well... The midwife who came to my house made me feel like it would be a real inconvenience for her to go down to her car to get it. So I just felt really British and was like, it's okay. Don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. It's absolutely fine. Which is bananas. And then, you know, like, I felt amazing for quite a while afterwards. You don't get anything. Like, Mm. I didn't get a medal or anything. (laughs) Like, so... He's a human that you have to now look after. Exactly. (laughs) He's a medal. Exactly. And obviously, he's a great medal. But... (laughs) Um, so I think, you know, when people kind of 
go, oh, and then I had to have an epidural. Have an epidural. It's gonna. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's no gonna, shame in it. No, if it's gonna make it a better experience for you, do it. Hundred percent. Like that's what it's there for. Mm. And the first epidural I had was amazing. It was hilarious. So I hadn't slept for ages. They put the epidural in. I slept for like three hours, and then I woke up and started like the contractions started to ramp up. And I turned to my husband and went, "I think I'm gonna have one of those orgasmic births I've read about." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't <laughs> at all. But that's what it felt like because that's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. And I have not experienced it myself. I have a friend who has. Mm. And it's because the muscles, and like scientifically, it makes a lot of sense because the Mm. muscles that um, are used in contraction are the same ones that are used during orgasm. Wow. Yeah. And so I know in between my contractions the second time, because I had an epidural, I didn't really feel the contractions the first time. But the second time around, the feeling I had in between contractions was that that post orgasmic feel. That's so funny. Yeah, and I think I've if never you're, heard of this before. If you're in, I think if you can get yourself into the right mindset, mm. I think it's definitely a possibility. And like I said, I've not experienced it before, um, but I can see how people could. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I it makes th- a lot of sense. Yeah, I just think being in that mindset while you're in labour, it would just be amazing. Mm. But, do you do any work around sort of like hypnobirthing or anything like that? Yes. I find that, again, I've planned my birth, so <laughs> I quite like to do hypnobirthing. <laughs> I would recommend hypnobirthing <laughs> to everybody, um, even if you think you're going to have a planned cesarean. Mm. Hypnobirthing's amazing. So I'm not a teacher, but um, I, I used it during my births and just there's I know for a fact that the first one went as well as it did because of my because of that that preparation mm. I did I think it's fantastic and there's it's the the face-to-face classes do have quite a high price point which is when and when you're factoring in everything else that goes yeah, along with it it's it's frustrating because when you're talking about like weddings and things people spend thousands mm. of pounds getting married but they don't invest as much into giving birth but it's not always necessarily you're not necessarily able to and there's there's so many things that you can invest in when you're having a baby mm-hmm. but there are a lot of fantastic um online courses or kind of like with the lower price point now particularly the positive birth company do an online yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then there's the yes mom who her name's holly de cruz and she's kind of like i think she's like the person that kind of brought hypnobirthing to the to the mainstream um she's got a fantastic all sorts of fantastic resources and she's written a fantastic book as well called your uh your birth it's either your baby your birth or your birth your baby okay one of the way around i can't remember this this non-alcoholic prosecco oh yeah me. i ought to mention our tipple today <laughs> so how we met actually is probably the Ooh. best way to start mm. this mm-hmm. conversation um sarah and i both met at a podcasting event we did back in the summer um in london and they did have some Prosecco on offer there, yeah. which I think you did turn down. I did turn down, yeah, because I'm like 90% sober. I say that because okay. I had a cider when I watched Strictly Come Dancing this weekend. Uh, <laughs> wild. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that is that is the wild that I get these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought it would be nice to kind of oh, yeah. bring that all back together. And you know, I know that the alcohol-free stuff is good when it makes my brain think that I'm drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the, like the the beaver mold wine 
you know, they do the elderflower fizz stuff. Yeah. They do an amazing mulled wine. It tastes exactly the same as regular. And it's alcohol-free. And it's alcohol-free, yeah. So no hangover. Oh, my God. That's the key. That is the dream. That's the key. It's the no hangover and still having the nice drinks. Yeah, because I did have the worst hangover of my entire life at the weekend. Yeah. Yep. I just couldn't even look at anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look at me. I'm not okay. Did you have lots of lovely junk food? Oh, yeah. I ordered a Taco Bell. (gasps) Oh, wow. I ate a whole bag of salt and vinegar kettle chips. Oh. I just like... Amazing. Yeah. Everything you need. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I was wondering what sort of challenges you face within the role, kind of on the day-to-day. On the day-to-day. So, I think... being based in Brighton, we are quite lucky that our the trust and the hospital that we work that I you know predominantly work with are really open and really kind of receptive to having doulas and and people uh, present in the birth room, which is fantastic. But it's not necessarily the case everywhere, um, so there can be kind of issues. I think it's a there's far more problems in America with it. Because the way that their model of care is that they they all go to see obstetricians and as a po- and then they they will decide if they want to have a midwife or a doula type thing. Whereas, okay. Yeah. So it's a it's a bit more prevalent over there. Yeah, definitely, okay. definitely. But it is typically more prevalent with I think it's safe to say like white middle class women, right? Who are err on the side of woo, as I like to say, <laughs> and that's. And I think that is that is pretty true here as well. But um, I think, as I said earlier, kind of there is a doula for everybody. And I think if you if there's any kind of if you've got any kind of worries about giving birth, it's really useful to have the, uh, another person who's invested in you, but outside of your family unit mm. to be able to be there to kind of give you. The confidence to advocate for your choices because um, that's a thing that happens quite a lot you get into the birth room and you're asked to make all these decisions where you have either you know in a lot of pain got had a lot of drugs not really had any sleep mm. um and just having someone else there to kind of make sure that you're yeah i mean maybe there's i don't know are there some people who you work with who don't have anyone else around them? Yeah, yeah, yeah there are. And there's some really fantastic um, charities. I don't know if they're classes charities yet, but there's some two fantastic organisations that work with vulnerable people mm. and, and in particular uh, refugees. Um, so they're called, one's called Doulas, Doulas Without Borders and the other one is called uh, The Mama Project. And um, The Mama Project's based in bristol predominantly and doulas without borders is kind of countrywide um and they will provide um free care to to women and people who need it um so it could be people who have come from violent relationships so or or have or are refugees and have no one in the country Mm. and need someone there so yeah really important so important really important um organizations um so uh the mom project is run by fiona mann who's a, like she's a social worker and and has become a doula because she was just providing care for a lot of people in part of her job and mm. she kind of went oh let's expand put, this yeah, yeah let's make this an actual thing and then doulas without borders is uh, set up by kate woods who is a really experienced doula from glastonbury she actually ran the course that i did oh wow. yeah she's really lovely she's really cool um 
yeah and so it's nice to be have that opportunity to provide that kind of care mm-hmm. to people who need it what about like working with the families and the partners yeah how, how linked in with that do you go so or is it predominantly the person who's given birth no it's definitely with with both i like to have pretty much all my meetings with both people i'm yet to have a like a family with more people i met but obviously i took to support those mm-hmm. yeah yeah but um i think it's really important to kind of keep everyone involved um and also things like when you're kind of showing kind of comfort measures and things you want to make sure that the partner knows how to do it so you're not kind of like putting lots of pressure on someone's back for hours and hours and hours on end yeah the partner can be doing their job while you're making sure everything else is going okay that type of thing um but typically i do um antenatal appointments a couple of a couple of kind of meetings where we'll discuss birth preferences and comfort measures and anything else that might come up around kind of feelings around like any previous traumas or anything like that and then attend the birth and then do a couple of postnatal appointments as well. Okay. Kind of, yeah. So how long would you stay with a particular client for, kind of roughly? In in what way? Like after they've had the baby? Well, or from sort of start to finish, how do you... Oh, um, sorry. It depends on when you're contacted. But it's good to see them, I think, around initial, like, sit down around 20 weeks. Okay. Um, and then like a few weeks before as well just yeah things but it is change. much more about yeah the post yeah and then when you for the birth you go on call from 38 weeks to 42 weeks and you're on call um other people do it differently um but i'm on call 24 wow. 7 so i can be phoned about anything that is amazing all. yeah and um and then when things kind of start then they give me a call and then i'll head over when i think it's uh getting closer to the to the point of mm. needing me so you just have one like client per in one at, at the oh, moment okay. at the moment yeah. yeah i do um others do it so they have more mm-hmm. um there is there's definitely an idea in the community that you kind of you get the births that you're supposed to be at and also it all kind of will eventually it will all line up so it all mm. kind of works yeah yeah um but we also we always work with backups so you you have a couple of sure you've got a community i guess exactly yeah. and then so um so then if something kind of happens that means you can't attend the birth and someone else can be there that they know that yeah the, the family know yeah i did a bit of reading around like doulas and stuff and going yeah. back to what you said about it being a bit more prevalent in the u.s mm. i read an article about kind of like um preterm babies being born more predominantly in like women of color and perhaps like a bit like you said around like middle class white women yeah I I feel like there's definitely some issues and some gray areas yeah definitely definitely so there's a massive disparity of care um from uh generally kind of just white um, parents and black parents but particularly kind of white middle class parents um and and any kind of parent of color um in the fact that it would, like one of the most awful s- statistics is that if you're a black mother you're uh, five times more likely to die in childbirth than anyone else and that's in the uk that's not and why is that um i mean the the simple answer mm-hmm. is racism uh the more complicated answer is things that 
people um, aren't listened to when they're told that when they say that they're in pain um, they aren't they're not given the, the postnatal care that they need um, there's just there's just a lack of understanding and um, and willingness to listen I think also there's big issues with um, kind of how because um, I'm sure you've heard about like when drug trials are done they're all done on white middle like white men of a certain height and weight there's also like this is a bit of a smaller one but room temperature is set for a man in a yes. suit yes that's shocking yes yes so it's things like that and so um everyone metabolizes uh drugs differently yeah and you they're not tested on women and they're not tested on women of color and so um yeah so there's things like that the, the um i there was recently a podcast clemmy hooper do you know clemmy hooper? i've heard of yeah her, so yeah. she's um a midwife um she's got a podcast called birth stories it's really great mm. she just did an interview with candy Braithwaite um about her birth with her first child um where basically she nearly died of sepsis and that's not her story's not uncommon for people of color um so it's really it's a really important story to be being told mm. and um to kind of making sure that um i don't think there's enough awareness no about this at all no there isn't at all i think it's kind of it's almost like a bit of like a dirty secret yeah that happens but in the past few months thanks to people like candace braithwaite and also there's um a dealer called Mars Lord who just does incredible work. She runs a training program called Abuela Doulas. Um, the work that they've been putting in is incredible just to kind of make sure that, that it's being told, the stories are being told, and so it's important that I keep telling yeah. those things as yeah. well. Um, and I think it would definitely be the case that if you were a person of colour who's pregnant, I would suggest having a doula. Mm. Um, who has similar lived experiences to you mm. for sure because it's kind of awful in a way that that needs to be the case yeah yeah definitely but, but I think that is the that would be the best yeah yeah the the way to make sure that you kind of have the, the right the tools to have the best experience you possibly mm. can have I think um, there's all sorts of terrible things that happen in particular kind of not there being a complete lack of consent when it comes to having uh, vaginal examinations during during labor um and all sorts of things all sorts of terrible stories that you hear about yeah kind of survivors of abuse just not either not being believed or listened to when they say they don't want to have someone else's hand up their vagina mm. um or just having to retell their story to everyone they see because there's not that continuity of care. Yeah. So that's where kind of my role helps because if you want to disguise that, then, you know, I can then just say, this this is a thing, we don't need to talk about it, but this means that, she, that this person doesn't want to have a VE, to, mm. you know, that kind of situation, whereas you don't have to keep bringing it up over and over and over again. To every new person you meet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are there any kind of changes you would like, like systematic changes you would like to see? I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, loads. the NHS is massively underfunded at the moment. Yeah, so that's I think that's the an thing. issue in itself. Yeah, the NHS is massively underfunded. The places for midwifery 
courses are um there's not I do I think there's not enough training for them not in the sense of like they do degrees which is fantastic Mm -hmm. and I think that really gives like the gravitas to their role that is much needed but the course isn't as available as it needs to be and also with things like the bursary there's no bursary for them to train anymore it's a very no that's very true it's very expensive and um you're working shifts um there's particularly you know there's a lot of older in particular women who have had children who decide they want to become midwives but it's there's a huge barrier with childcare. yeah you know you've got to have an incredibly supportive kind of either family around you or kind of a a really great support system um to make sure that you can get through your studies Mm. um because the 12 hour shifts are not 12 hour shifts oh no there's always more there's they're always doing more they're always pushing themselves as you know and doing the very best that they can um so i think more funding yeah for for that think more more research into it's just about to say that because particularly with degrees and stuff i think it's something like um new science that gets introduced you can't introduce it onto a degree system for like up to seven years after really yeah the research has been discovered so almost some of this stuff is so outdated now and how do you how do you keep up yeah i think that's the thing there's not the time to keep to keep the training updated yeah. i think that's why we have quite shocking breastfeeding rates in the country because there's not the time to kind of pass on the new discoveries that are being made to people in the profession um yeah so just making it and paying them more i think just pay them more um and yeah having the opportunity to do more research i think as well because it's the system pretty much works you know like most women are and people just give birth and that's yeah. there's no kind of pushing forward of things and making it like better not making quicker. it excellent yeah. yeah um i think as well um just it is a case of there's certain things i think things like um antenatal classes and things like that need to be more accessible to people because i know in particular things like nct which are p- pretty good are an expensive to a certain extent an expensive way to make parent friends mm-hmm. um we, i was lucky my ntt course was run by a fantastic midwife and, and I, we learned a lot but we'd already researched a lot i think potentially the people that need those classes the most are the people that what don't, don't have that, and don't have that access to them mm. um yeah so the nhs do run some but not i don't know, i think more could be done mm. um just hit my birthing for everyone be good um and just changing the narrative talking about uh, having a more positive um depictions of birth and pregnancy in television shows and films and things like that i think one so one born every minute has been cancelled yeah which is good news in my opinion Mm -hmm. because all all the people in that they're always on their backs they're always you know screaming and pain screaming having a terrible time and it's that is the case for some people but it doesn't have to be the case and i think um yeah and sometimes i wonder if it were men who had to do the birth giving oh don't do you think they would portray it 
in the moment with the expectation that either they're going to stay at home or they're going to go out and try and work and have it all, which is not possible, yeah. trust me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also there's, I mean, I've had some horror stories. Um, so someone I know had a baby, um, had a womb prolapse. And was, what does that mean? So it's kind of like your, uh, your uterus kind of starts coming out. Of okay. the vagina, yeah, it's very painful, not nice. Yikes! And she was told that they wouldn't do anything about it unless her husband had a problem having sex with her. You're joking? No, and I had the same. I have so my episiotomy. The first, so with my first son, I had an episiotomy, and it didn't go right. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I had kind of like a little bunch of nerve endings that had come through the scar, so it just hurt all the time. Um, and I was told that they, I would. They'd do it again and sort it out for me if my problem my is actually awful. Yeah, they say if, if your husband has a problem having sex with you, then we'll do something because it was classed as cosmetic. Oh my god, mm. I'm shocked. I was just kind of told, oh, that's it now. Every, you know, you just turned away. Yeah. Well, no, I thought, and then yeah. and then it was sorted. But, but um, the fact that that is still yeah, and and pe- given out to yeah, people. and other people wouldn't probably wouldn't have fought like because you yeah. just when when a doctor says to you well, no there's nothing we can do you kind of you take get, that as yeah. gospel yeah and i just it's like it hurts when i wee every time i'm not living like this for the rest no. of my life no. i was like I was like, I was like 30 i was like i could live for another 60 years i'm not <laughs> oh my gosh i'm not being in pain <laughs> so yeah it's and so that kind of level of like misogyny mm. during is just unacceptable, and yeah. it's and and I know that that's not limited to to pregnancy and things. It's yeah, kind for of, sure. You know, you just, that's a that's a much bigger topic. Oh, <laughs> definitely, completely. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a big issue. Yeah, yeah. So I think if if that was the case, if men could have babies, it would be it would be it would be brilliant. That would be amazing. <laughs> it would be the one. We wouldn't be chatting about like, this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah. That would be, yeah. I think there are definitely some issues, but I, I think the work you do is admirable. And oh, thank you. I do think. I think um, it's something that, that definitely more people should know about. Yeah, I and I think as well for kind of people who are class, you know, who would be seen as being in like minority groups. I think it's a really there's some very am- important tool. Yeah, there's some amazing people doing really important work to mm-hmm. kind of make sure, in particular, definitely kind of. Around non-binary and trans families as well, it's kind of just making sure that they're not erased and like listened to, and mm. kind of like trans men give birth, and that's just that's a that's a fact. It's, yeah, <laughs> um, um, yeah. So it's that all that you know those doing that important work. Yeah, yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to? Um, do you know? I don't think so. I think. I think we've covered loads. Yeah, we have. <laughs> it's been a really interesting and eye-opening kind of discussion for me. Yeah, it's been nice to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, good. Where can people find you if they want to find you? Yeah, so I um, have I have a podcast that I host with my friend Lottie, who's a nutritionist, and we talk about women's health, obviously, because that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and uh, it's called Public Cervix Announcement. There's, if you like puns, we've got a lot of puns going on, so it's the place for you. And so, yeah, you can find us on all the usual um, things. And then um, I am uh, my doula services are called Bloom and Treasure. So, I'm going to be doing
Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for being my guest. Oh. It's lovely to chat to you. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, I find it obviously really, really interesting to chat stuff this afternoon. Um, as always, you can follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, at In One Earpod. And please do subscribe, rate, and review the podcast because that really helps me. Um, and you can find that in all the normal places as well Spotify, the Acast app, and Apple Podcasts. And I shall see you next week for another episode. Bye. <laughs>